Holy Father, out of love, you sent your Son into the world that we might be saved and live through him. And you offered us a rebirth through water and the Spirit that we could belong to your family. Thank you for the love and the grace you have shed out upon us. We pray that you would open our hearts to hear your gospel this morning that we might believe and live. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is John Ziegler, and I am uh, the pastor here at uh, Church of the Incarnation. So glad to be celebrating on this day with you. Uh, it's a big day for us uh, because it represents a lot of hard work, a lot of faithfulness, God's faithfulness and the faithfulness of his people to get here. We're excited to be worshiping with you this morning. I'm not a hardcore podcaster, but like a lot of us, I love a good podcast, right? And especially I love a good interview between two people that I'm kind of interested to hear, you know, what they have to talk about. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've wished that I could be a podcast host just to have the chance to get to interview people that I like kind of want to know, you know, want to want to get a chance to talk to them when I otherwise wouldn't have a chance to speak with them. In our gospel reading today, we have an epic interview. There's a leader of the Jews named Nicodemus, and he's interviewing another leader of the Jews that we know as Jesus Christ. And it's a great interview, and I'm excited to get into it with you. It's not an accident that John 3 is here in the reading today on the second Sunday of Lent. By the way, if you don't know, we're in a season of fasting. We are worthily lamenting our manifold sins, and we invited you into it. So if you're new here, welcome to the fast. Uh, we're going a little low-key on Lent today. It's a little more feastly, um, in part because we're just so excited about what God's done. We're taking a break to... Uh, to be a little more energetic today than we might be on a second Sunday of Lent. But this reading is here on this day for a purpose. Because the folks that organize the readings, the church, they know that Easter is coming. And at Easter, they know that folks are going to be baptized. And so they have a text that wants to talk about baptism. But they also know that before Easter gets here, First comes Good Friday. And Good Friday is about the cross, of course. And so this text is here to remind us of the necessity of baptism and the purpose of the cross. But before we get into the text a little bit, I just want to share with you, so we have a few newcomers in the house, just a little bit about our church and how we got here. So we are a new church. We're relatively about four years old. And we are a church plant of a church called Trinity Anglican. So we were sent out by Trinity Anglican, which is on the west side, and Trinity Anglican which on the east side, which is now Emmanuel. So those are our mother churches that sent us out. And there's still a handful of people here that came from one of those two churches with hopes and in faith that we could together establish a church that could love North Atlanta well. Of course, there's already some good churches here, but, but we know that we need more churches to love the city well. 
And so we were sent out about four years ago to do this. Some of you might be wondering, like, now what kind of church is this? Like, I've never seen, like, the drums together with the robes. That, uh, how is this all coming together? Well, we're in an Anglican church, uh, which probably doesn't say a lot to a, a lot of us. You might know a little bit about the Church of England. Maybe you've watched the royal wedding on TV or um, the Queen's funeral recently, right? Those were all Anglican ceremonies. Um, there's a lot of also diversity within our tradition and so it's kind of good to speak to exactly the kind of Anglican church that we are. I would say here at Church of the Incarnation, we're very ecumenical minded. And that means we celebrate what God is doing in all the churches. And we, we in a sense, attempt to embrace the best of all of it. And one way we talk about that is with this language called three streams. And the three streams just talks about how there's these different streams of Christianity, like one of them being what you might call the evangelical stream, or some might call it the Protestant or Reformed stream. And this stream celebrates the importance of the Bible. And it, it talks about how the, the Bible is important for in, you know, instructing us in the faith and for determining doctrine. And folks in this stream also emphasize a relationship with Jesus. They want you to know Jesus. They want you to know the Bible for, for yourself, and they want you to know Jesus. And we here at Incarnation want that for you too. We think that's really great. And then there's another stream of Christianity that we might call the charismatic or Pentecostal stream. That's actually the stream I grew up in. So I'm actually originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, and my dad's a Pentecostal preacher man, okay? So that's how I grew up, uh, up until relatively recently. Um, and this stream, what I love about this stream is it celebrates the power of God. And it celebrates how the Holy Spirit is at work in the church and how the Spirit gives gifts to all God's people, not just special people that are ministers, but how the, gift, the gifts of the Spirit are for all God's people to do the work. And we love that, and we embrace that as well here at Incarnation. And then there's this third stream, which you might call the Catholic stream. It's the more sacramental liturgical stream. And in this stream, we celebrate not only how we encounter God in the word or how we encounter him in the spirit, but we celebrate how God's spirit meets us at the table in the sacrament and in the baptismal font in the waters. And what I love about this stream is it celebrates the continuity. So I grew up loving how like the spirit moves, but what I didn't know about is how the spirit had been moving through the ages. And this stream celebrates how this faith we have is a faith that's been passed down. Like literally, Jesus gave it to the apostles and then the apostles went away and gave it to the church fathers, and they just passed it on down through the centuries on to us. And so I know I felt like growing up, I had to like, felt like I had to choose. Like, okay, am I going to be evangelical or charismatic or Catholic? And what we're here to say is we can actually be all those things. We see all those converging. When, when I look at the early church, I see people that know the word really well. Like they're quoting the Bible all over the place, right? But they're also full of the Spirit and God's powers moving through them. But they're also deeply liturgical and deeply sacramental. And so we're doing everything we can to live into that. Another way of saying that for us is we're kind of a both and church. We're like, you can have it all, church. Like you can be this and that. You don't have to choose. Another word I would use to describe us is holistic. And part of it is that we believe that God came to redeem every part of humanity. 
And it's not just an inward reality or an outward reality, right? Of course, the inward part is emotional, it's spiritual, it's personal. And then there's an outward dimension that is material and it's public. It has to do with peace and justice and human flourishing. And here we at Incarnation, we don't believe, like some churches are really focused on this inward relationship, right? But kind of the public thing, we kind of just leave that go. And then I have some friends that think God only cares about the systemic stuff, but not so much about the personal. And we're here to say, hey, it's a both and. We're here for emotionally healthy, holistic spirituality. A little bit about our name, Incarnation. That's a fancy word to describe the mystery of God's spirit joined together with human flesh and the person of Jesus. It literally means enfleshment. And the incarnation is how God saves us. God became like us so that we could become like God. He shared in our nature so that we could share in his divine nature. A key passage that we talk about often here is in John 1. John's gospel begins like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things that were made were made through him. And then we get on down to verse 14, and it says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, Jesus came to show us what God is like, and then he ascended up to heaven where he came from, and on the day of Pentecost sent us the Holy Spirit so that we could literally become his body. And so now we, by God's grace, have the task that he gave us. And it's this kind of uh, incarnational imagination that funds our mission statement. By God's grace, we want to be the body of Christ for the sake of the world. And so just like Jesus did, we exist literally to demonstrate God's beauty and his goodness and truth for the sake of of our city. All right, that's a little bit about us and what we're up to, the big things that uh, we feel called to and that we're stepping into. Let's get into our text. I want to look at John 3 with you this morning, this interview with Jesus and Nicodemus. So who is this guy, Nicodemus? Text doesn't tell us a ton about him, but we know he's a leader of the Jews, a particular kind of leader called the Pharisee, and we know that he's come by night. He's curious about Jesus, but he doesn't know if he's ready to be seen with Jesus. Like, he wants to know more, right? And he says this. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God. For no one can do these signs unless God is with the person. Now, there's some dramatic irony at play here. I don't know if you remember this uh, literary convention from your English class. But dramatic irony is when the folks in the audience know something that someone on stage doesn't. You guys remember the, like Romeo and Juliet, how it ends, right? Like Julio, 
Juliet doesn't really want to marry that other guy. So she's got a plan. She's going to take this potion. Her parents are going to think she's dead, but she's just going to fall asleep, right? And then I think some priest is supposed to let Romeo know that she's not really dead, right? Somehow Romeo doesn't get the message, right? And so Romeo's on the scene, sees that she's dead, even though she's really sleeping. And what does he do? He goes and takes a potion and actually kills himself, right? And then she wakes up. Well, you guys know the story. It's a sad ending. It is a tragedy. But it's dramatic irony, right? There's something that you know that the person doesn't know. And of course, there's something going on here in the story that Nicodemus doesn't know because he, unlike us, has not just rehearsed John 1. This whole story about the word had come into the world. That literally Jesus was God, right? And that he came into the world. And so Nicodemus doesn't realize that the eternal God and mortal flesh have been joined into a person. He doesn't know that he is sitting across from God's infinite love, literally beauty, goodness, and truth and bodily form. Now, Nicodemus might not have the whole story, but he at least has part of it right, right? Like, he recognizes that Jesus is a teacher. He is. That has come from God. And indeed, he has. Nicodemus is closer to the truth than he knows. Maybe you're here today, and you're not super sure about the whole Jesus thing or about the part that the church might play in your life. But maybe you have a serious love for animals, and you show deep care for God's creation. Or maybe you have a passion for justice, and you care for those on the margins. Or maybe you don't show much love for your neighbors at all, but you demonstrate an amazing sacrificial love in the way that you care for your family. And I want you to know that all of these, I think, can be starting points for following Jesus. I would point to all these as evidence, as God's work in us and through us. That even before we're able to recognize the actual face of God's love sitting across from us, God's love is already at work in us, and his love is already drawing us to himself Sometimes Nicodemus gets a bad rap because he comes by night, right? But the thing about Nicodemus is he doesn't stay where he is. He's on a journey. And we read further in the story, further in. Later on, we see him defending Jesus before the the Jewish council. And then after Jesus dies on the cross, he's there with Joseph of Arimathea helping uh, lay Jesus in the tomb and caring for the body of Jesus. Christian tradition actually says that Nicodemus went on to become a martyr, and he celebrated as Saint Nicodemus on August 3rd. Nicodemus has come. He's searching for truth in the dark. He wants to know Jesus. He rightly recognizes that following Jesus is a very radical thing to do. And before he's willing to step out, he has a few questions that he wants to get answered first. He's a lot like some of my friends who don't yet go to church, but are very interested to know who Jesus is 
He's a lot like a lot of us in church that maybe see faith as kind of something that can be compartmentalized. Like I've got Jesus for this one part of my life, but he's not going to kind of affect how I do business or how I do this with my neighbors or how I vacation or how I raise my kids. It's kind of a private and an inward reality. And friends, what I want you to know is that we want to be a church for people like Nicodemus, a place where people can come and get their questions answered, a place where people can have some time to encounter Jesus in community. But it's also a place where hopefully we don't leave you where you are, that we can help you on your journey find out more about who this Jesus is, a place where you can explore your faith in community and get some questions answered. So Nicodemus has this opening line that he says in the interview. We know you come from God because no one else can do these signs unless God is with the person. And in just a moment, Jesus is going to tell him how he came from God in a more real sense than he can actually imagine. And he's also going to tell him why. Why did he come from God? But before he does that, he's going to tell Nicodemus how Nicodemus himself can be like someone that comes from God. Nicodemus has this no one can statement and then Jesus offers him back two more no one can statements. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born from above. And then Nicodemus, totally not picking up at all what he says, <laughs> says, wait up, how can someone who is already born go back into their mother's womb? How can you, when you're old, how can you do this? And so in the story, we get a little comic relief. Nicodemus is lost for really good reasons. It's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And so Jesus then clarifies. What does it mean to be born from above? Or we might say be born again. The Greek word actually means both. You could say reborn from above might work well to explain what he's saying. And then Jesus clarifies. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Now, since we're here in this beautiful, newly built building, we're going to have a moment for a little lesson in sacred architecture. So, by the way, this lectern, also called an ambo, altar, and baptismal font, all built out of beautiful Georgia granite. In fact, this was in the ground like two months ago, <laughs> maybe less, just came. So we're, we're ready for the grand opening, but just in time, like we got ready like 90 minutes ago, <laughs> but we're here. Um, in the mind of, of ancient Christians and in how worship works in these traditional spaces is that the altar represents the very presence of God. And where the presence of God is, there is the kingdom. And so there is a sense in which this liturgy that we participate in every Sunday is a journey into the kingdom. 
And literally, we say with our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom now and forever. It's a journey into the kingdom. And so that's what this altar represents. In the kingdom, we're going to have this big party, much bigger than the party we have today, called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, where we're going to be feasting. And the feast that we have here every week is a participation. It's the future has come into our present. And that feast is meeting us here. So what do you have to do to enter the kingdom of God? How does one come from God? How can you be born from above? And Jesus says this. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. That's why in churches, often this baptismal font is placed here in the back. Because this baptismal font is our entrance into the kingdom. It's here that we are baptized into the family of God. And so every Sunday we're going to come in here and remember, and some people will do this, you'll see them touch a little water and cross themselves. And that's just a way of remembering their salvation. That by God's grace, God has made a way for them in his family. Baptism is a sacramental reality. And Nicodemus is getting his mind blown <laughs> because he can't imagine what Jesus is talking about. Because baptism is related to something that Nicodemus doesn't yet understand, which is the mystery of the incarnation. And in the incarnation, God's spirit and matter are, are joined together like never before. And it's the same imagination that we have in baptism, that God's spirit is joined with the waters. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. In baptism, we renounce evil and repent of our sins. We turn to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we confess our faith in his death and resurrection. We commit to loving our neighbors as ourselves, and we commit to walking in newness of life as God's holy people. You might say agents of his beauty and goodness and truth. In baptism, the prophecy spoken in Ezekiel 36 is fulfilled in us. This is what God says. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and a new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will make you follow in my ways, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Friends, this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about being born from above, a born again. Now, I know this language of born again has a lot of baggage in our culture 
Um, I know certain football players like to wear like John 3.16 right here on their thing. So these, this kind of language gets used and reused. And even I myself grew up in a tradition in which we thought of this language as referring to some personal, interior, spiritual experience. That happens maybe when we finally decide to make a commitment to follow Jesus. My seminary professor, Marianne Meyer Thompson, a well-respected evangelical New Testament scholar, put it this way. To be born again or begotten from above does not entail having a particular kind of experience, especially not an experience that is interior or private. Even as one is born into a family, a tribe, or a people, so being born again entails identifying with a new people complete with its own characteristics and commitments. The good news for Nicodemus and the good news for us is that we can be reborn from above. Christ has come to wash us, to give us a new heart and a new spirit. And in doing so, we are reborn into a new family the people of God. And we're invited into this baptized life, a completely new way of living. Now, I know that I have invited a few friends here this morning that don't know a lot at all about the Christian faith, didn't even grow up in a Christian country. And so I can imagine that there are some folks at this point that are wondering, wow, this is some pretty interesting stuff. The stuff about the sacraments and the incarnation. And of course, for Nicodemus, this is sounding really bizarre and almost impossible. But interestingly enough for Jesus, instead of stopping to kind of explain and break down what he's talking about, he actually just keeps piling it on. And he just keeps talking about more and more mysteries. And then he's going to go on and talk about the mystery of the cross. And that is kind of where this lands this morning. Now that Jesus has told Nicodemus how to be someone that comes from or is reborn from heaven, he's now going to share the why. The why did he come? Why did Jesus come? And why would you even need rebirth to enter the kingdom? Aren't you good? Aren't you good where you are? And so Jesus refers to this bizarre story in the Old Testament. God's people are wandering through the wilderness and they're heading to the promised land. Only things aren't going so great. And so the people start to complain against God and they start complaining against God's leader, Moses. They have lost the faith. They have stopped trusting in the God that saved them. They are doubting God's goodness and his plans. And so God sends judgment on them. Poisonous snakes come into the camp and they start biting people and people start to die. I almost kind of reminds you of that movie with the airplane, you know what I'm talking about with the snake going. And so they repent, and they come and they say, Moses, we're sorry, and we repent, and we were wrong. Pray to your God to save us. 
And God tells Moses to do something really strange. He tells Moses to take a pole and to put a bronze serpent on it. And then he tells him to lift up that pole. And all who look on that pole were saved and were healed. And so now Jesus is sitting there across from Nicodemus rehearsing what would have been for him a very familiar story. And he's telling Nicodemus why he's here. And he says, Nicodemus, no one has ascended to the Father, so no one has been in heaven except the Son who also descended. So Jesus came down from heaven. And then he says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him would have everlasting life. He's explaining to Nicodemus the cross and he's explaining to Nicodemus the why behind the incarnation. Jesus came down to be lifted up. He came down from heaven to be lifted on a cross that we might be healed of the disease of sin and live. Why did Jesus come? We know from John's gospel that God's agenda is life. He creates life and he sustains life and he wants more of it. And we were bitten and infected by this deadly disease of sin and we became subject to evil and death and we were mortally wounded unable to see God's everlasting kingdom. Why did Jesus come down from heaven? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He came for love and he came that you might live. So what's the invitation for you this morning? Where do you find yourself in this story? Can you see yourself in Nicodemus? Maybe you still have some questions that you need answering. That's great. I pray for you that you will stick around long enough and discover more about Jesus and that Jesus will reveal himself to you over time as he did to Nicodemus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're already ready to move beyond Nicodemus. The light of Christ has shined into your heart and you're able to recognize your sin and your need for God, your need for the healing power of the cross. Do you want to be reborn into God's family? If you're interested in baptism, I invite you to come up, talk to us, let us know. We'd love to prepare you. And then if you're here this morning and you've already been baptized, are you living in the world as one who has been reborn by God? Are you allowing God's spirit to guide and direct you? Are you living according to the alternative ways of God's kingdom. Just like we might say 
oh, our friends from Kazakhstan live this particular way, or our friends from Mongolia live that particular way. Could it be said of you, my friend from heaven, who is reborn of heaven, now lives in a very different way? Wherever you are on this journey, my prayer for you is that you would see Jesus lifted up and that he would draw you by his love, that you might come to know him and might be partakers in his everlasting life. Amen.